Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Emery, the host of the Wannabe Podcast, the podcast that takes you from where you are now to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. Thank you so much for tuning in to Monday's episode. I hope you enjoy today's. This week, I'm joined by Ijoma Aluo. She's an incredible writer. She is based in Seattle and is the author of the New York Times bestseller, So You Want to Talk About Race, published by Seal Press. She was named the Root 100 Most Influential African Americans in 2017. Ijoma is also the winner of the 2018 Feminist Humanist Award by the American Humanist Society. Her work is typically on race, identity, feminism, social and mental health issues, and the arts. Her writing has been featured in The Washington Post, NBC News, Elle Magazine, Time, The Stranger, and The Guardian, among other wonderful outlets. In today's episode, we cover Ijoma's love of politics, how her career plans changed, and why she landed in tech. She talks about leaving her career behind to pursue writing and some of the instability she faced when she did it. Also, stick around to hear her worst advice. Let's go. Um, So the first question I ask everyone on the podcast is, who did you want to be before you became who you are today and why? Oh, let's see. When I was a young kid, actually, I did want to be a writer. And then about seventh grade it switched to politics I never wanted to be a politician but I wanted to be like a policy analyst and so those were kind of my two overriding goals throughout my youth how do you know what a policy analyst is when you're younger oh I was huge nerd (laughs) (laughs) was there anyone Uh, oh sorry carry on by by all means (laughs) oh yeah no I um I was always fascinated with how the world worked. I think I remember when I was about six. Um, no, it was eight. It was eight, wow. seven, during the Tiananmen Square massacre. I remember watching about it, watching it on the news, mm-hmm. and then and reading about it and trying to figure out what was going on and why things like this would happen. And then I was like, well, why would a government do this? And I think it was you know right around that time that I really did start to become fascinated with why. Groups of people do what they do, why governments do what they do. Um, so, you know, I, I was very much trying to figure out what that would end up looking like. Mm-hmm. Um, my father actually had a PhD in political science, but I, I didn't really have access to him. He went back to Nigeria when I was two and then he passed away. Um, oh, so sorry. it was weird as I got older and expressed a love for politics. My grandpa would pull out my dad's doctoral thesis, and, you know, show me the, you know, these tombs he had written on Nigerian politics. Um, oh, but cool. it's just a real organic thing. Nice. Was there anyone besides your dad that you were looking up to in terms of like pursuing the career of a policy analyst? <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily. It was really more like I loved to read. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved to find patterns. The way in which I fell in love with politics was really trying to, f- was, was studying history and studying government both at the same time, you know, because when you're younger in school, at least here in the States, 
those are really different classes, yeah. you know? So, and studying them both at the same time, I started to realize how much history, how, how these patterns, you know, I'd be studying something happened. I believe it, you know, really started when I was studying um, the American revolution and the French revolution in two separate classes and realizing, you know, the influences and, you know, what these things end up looking like and kind of fell in love with it. And so it was really more like, Oh, I love reading about these things. I love finding patterns. I like making recommendations. And I also don't like talking to crowds and you know, being <laughs> to people. So, you know, being the person who writes these white papers and things like this, I had been digging up on the, you know, at the library on microfiche because this was you know, like earlier stages of internet. Um, you know, I could do that job really well and it would be a lot of fun. And so that was kind of, you know, it was me trying to find where I knew fit my personality and my love for trying to figure out the puzzle of human behavior in a social and global, you know, scale. Yeah. So you ended up doing the degree in political science, right? Yes. Yes. So after that, what steps did you take to pursue? Did you carry on trying to pursue that as a career choice or did you kind of end up somewhere else before you yeah, ended, no, in, ended in writing? <laughs> <laughs> um, by the time I graduated, I was about five months pregnant with my second child. And so I had definitely had some really good offers in, in the field. Yeah. Um, but most of them required moving and I knew I couldn't do that while I was pregnant. Um, and I already had a child. So I decided to go into tech because I live in a tech city mm-hmm. and I had worked in tech before. And I knew that, you know, at least for the foreseeable future, having two children and that this was going to be a way to bring home a stable income. And so that's kind of what I put myself into for the next probably eight years Um, and it's what I have been doing for probably six or seven years before then what did you love about tech I actually really love tech so just as a side note (laughs) I love tech so (laughs) did you love Um, it um or was it really just a means (laughs) to an end (laughs) you know there were aspects of it I loved um what I did like about tech was the fact that there's always something to learn Mm-hmm. tech is always changing and growing so the moment I got bored and I have ADD and I get bored very easily I could switch to something else that was emerging into another department and there was always a need you know it wasn't like oh I signed on to tech I'm doing this one thing forever you know mm-hmm. if I got a line to learn how to build something I could build something if I wanted to learn you know how to code something if I wanted to actually physically pull wire I could physically pull wire if I wanted to work with customers I could do that if I wanted to work in design I could do that there was so much for me to bounce around and learn as like my you know as my interest took hold and mm-hmm. then move to something else and incorporate that that even though it wasn't what I was meant to be doing I could definitely you know, very few of us get to do what we feel like we're meant to do. Yeah. Um, I could at least stay interested while also, you know, earning enough money to feed my family. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I really love that about tech as well, that you can honestly end up doing all of the jobs. <laughs> um, yeah. And you become such a really good generalist that all of these skills become super transferable. So it's one of my favorite fields to be in. I'm not quite as in it as I used to be, which makes me sad, but it's fine. I am working in media and broadcasting now, so that's fine as well. But um, I wanted to know more about like the moment that you knew that you weren't going to be working in tech anymore and you decided to switch to writing and making that more of what you do, especially particularly writing about race, which is, I can imagine, a, a bit of a transition. 
in the States. <laughs> it was, yeah. And at the time I was working actually in a fairly conservative aspect of tech. Mm-hmm. I was working in digital marketing. Oh, and nice. so I was um, more customer facing and it was in the auto industry, which is a very conservative industry, very white, older male industry. Um, and that, that actually, I think, helped necessitate my writing because I was working in an environment where no matter what was happening out in the world, I couldn't talk about it. Mm. Uh, and so I never considered when I started writing again that, that it was going to be a career of any sort. I really didn't. Um, I was writing just simply to kind of hold on to my sanity and <laughs> to find a play to wait to talk about, you know, these issues in the hopes that maybe other people in my community would hear me and understand why this was so important. And so that's really why I started writing. Um, and then what happens, of course, is, you know, I had by then been almost a decade out of out of school, mm-hmm. um, a decade out of the world that I had loved so much where I was immersed in thought and immersed in talking about things because they were right and because they needed to be talked about instead of, you know, what was polite or what was prudent, you know. And so it had been so long since I had been able to really have a lot of that conversation. And I, you know, went back through this shift of once you start talking about things that matter again, it's really hard to pretend that other things that aren't important matter. And so I just, you know, as I started writing for myself and then other people started picking up on it, it kind of got to the point where I couldn't live a double life. You know, I couldn't, um, hear all of these awful comments at work and shrug them off and then go and write, you know, everything I needed to say at night. Um, a lot of people can make a whole life that way, but I had never really been good at not saying anything on my mind anyways. And so, you know, (laughs) it was kind of becoming harder and harder to contain. And I just kind of, I think I realized, you know, there was never going to be a good time. Mm. Um, leave so I just kind of let my emotion guide and one day I just kind of had had enough and I said I'm done I quit um I'll give you two weeks and that was it and I didn't really have a plan (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea how I was going to pay my mortgage um anything like that but it was probably you know one of the bigger leaps I've taken in my life and and then luckily I was, you know, offered um, a position at the establishment. And then between that and freelancing, you know, it was very, very tough at first financially. It's a totally different world to go from tech to writing. Yeah. Um, writing is not a lucrative career. It is not. <laughs> and, it is not uh, at all. Yeah. And I had only been able to buy my house, you know, a year or so earlier. And so it was terrifying at first. I didn't know if I'd be able to keep my house. But I also knew I couldn't just go back to tech. Um, and luckily I was able to find a way to make it sustainable and have been so far. Thank goodness. And so it was kind of this organic thing that just, you know, accumulated, um, into this giant leap, but it wasn't deliberate in the beginning at all. Like, I think if you had gone back five years ago and talked to me, I would have had no inkling that this is where I would be today. I would have probably assumed that I had been continued to be promoted throughout tech, you know, and that would have been my great success was, you know, being an executive or something um, instead of this. That is, I love that you said that because a lot of the conversations I have on this podcast and with loads of other 
wonderful high achieving people, much like you, is that there is almost this like this trend where no one actually really plans to be where they're at today um which is almost reassuring actually it's kind of a very like gradual build up to kind of I guess would you say you've stepped into your purpose more now would you describe it yes yeah I have a definite sense of calm Uh, you know I know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing more than I've ever known I think before I was so driven by finding that space and you keep thinking maybe if I do this this will be my end goal. Maybe if I strive for this, maybe if I get another promotion, um, that's not where I'm at right now. Yeah. I have this piece that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And so now I'm driven, I'm driven in two ways. I'm driven of course, by my pursuit of truth and discourse and really getting these things out there, but also just driven by becoming a better writer to see what I can do um, in what is right now the path that I know I'm supposed to be on. And it's not necessarily I wonder if I can sell this many copies or make this much money. Like it's all beside the point for me right now. It's, it's exploring words um, and exploring the power of voices and, you know, figuring out how I can say these things and contribute to these conversations. And it's a totally different feeling than I had ever had in the past. And I'm, I'm so glad that it found me. And it's, it's interesting because I, I, I run into a lot of people, you know, here we have like, there's this, like the Forbes magazine has this 30 under 30. Mm, yeah. It's like a life goal. Of and, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and every time it comes out, people are just despondent. Right. And I see like, there's so many people who are like, I've just read this list of 30 people who have accomplished so much and I haven't done anything. And, yeah. you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't publish a single thing until after 30. I'm 37. I'm just now, you know, starting to really go down my path um, and I think a lot of people forget that, you know, there's always, life is a lot longer than it ever used to be. <laughs> and <laughs> there's always, these things can hit you by surprise. And it's not always, you know, that you set out and started early. I think a lot of times we think that because we didn't start right away and build this up that everything's too late, you know, but I think I went down all these other paths that were necessary in very different ways to get to where I am, but none of it was planned by me. And I'm very happy with that. I don't think I would be the writer I am today if I had even say gotten an English degree. Um, you know, and so I, I, it's interesting to see because I remember feeling the same way. And for me, that was all financial, right? I had friends who were much more financially successful than me, who weren't single parents, you know, and, and mm-hmm. owned these really nice houses. And I used to always feel so inadequate. Um, but right now I feel like the luck, one of the luckiest people in the world. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Oh, that must be such a wonderful feeling. I feel like I'm very much on the cusp of that feeling. So I'm getting closer and it feels like I'm getting closer. Like I feel like I'm definitely on the right path, but I haven't like, I don't know, maybe I'm Maybe I'm actually there and I just, I think I'm waiting for something else. I don't know <laughs> if like it's the right feeling. I think it's really hard to like tell, but like it sounds like you just know. And I definitely feel like I know I'm exactly where I need to be and doing exactly what I need to be doing. And I think at the moment I'm just kind of purging some really kind of like unhealthy situations um, that mean that just need to be gone. And maybe that's kind of what is making me feel like very uncomfortable right now is that I haven't quite got rid of some of the hurdles or obstacles that I'm currently facing and I haven't like overcome them yet. So maybe that's, that's it. But um, I really wanted to, Oh, go, go for it. If you have something. To yeah, no, about. I was going to say that. I mean, that sounds familiar. And I think also, you know, when I first started, I wasn't sure. I was like, what if this is the worst mistake I've ever made? Mm. Um, I think also as women, um, we are expected to, like sacrifice and it's not supposed to be about our own personal satisfaction yeah um and i think sometimes it can be really hard to know what that looks like and to give yourself permission to say that you might actually be really good at this thing and this might actually be satisfying for you and it might be good enough that it's just satisfying for you you know and and that there's not I think a lot of times we think there has to be this level of achievement in it before we can say we're doing the thing that we're meant to do. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to have this outside verification that, yes, you know, you you have mastered this before we can relax into it. Um, but that fades if you are doing the thing you're supposed to be doing eventually. And it just takes a little time. You know, when I first started, I was like, I think, you know, probably the first couple of years I was writing, I was convinced that someone was going to figure out that I couldn't write worth shit and <laughs> that, you know, and it, then the bubble would burst mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would have to go back to a cubicle and <laughs> it would all be over. Um, and it wasn't until I gave myself permission to to understand that, A, I was good at writing, but B, even if I wasn't, it was enough that I was satisfied with what I was doing and and kind of accept that, that I was able to kind of relax and realize I was where I was supposed to be. I love that you said that because that was going to be my next question, which you preemptively answered already. It was like, how do you know you're you're good at it? And I think you've given the most perfect answer is that you just, you feel good about it. You've relaxed into it. And I think um, a lot of the times, a lot of our validation, a lot of um, why we think we're good at something is because people tell us we are. Um, and a lot of weight is given to that. But it sounds like you've reached like this really beautiful place with your career and your writing particularly where it's like it, it doesn't necessarily matter what anyone else thinks that you just feel really good about it and I guess ultimately that has led to some of the massive successes you've had where writing is concerned as well yeah and I mean I'm at this point right now where I'm, I'm in love with the process so I'm actually looking forward to failing spectacular at, at at stretches you know like I'm I'm looking forward to trying something new with writing and being awful at it yeah (laughs) um and to see if I can grow you know and and for me it's not going to be about the reviews and you know like I would love to try fiction and I have a feeling it's going to be hideous (laughs) when I start because I I don't know if I have quite the brain for it you know I don't know if I have quite the 
the literary stretch yet mm-hmm. and it would take a lot of work it's so different from what i do now but i want to try and i and i and i i look forward to the day where i can get completely panned for it and <laughs> and then try and grow because i know i'm still doing what i'm supposed to be doing and i'm still in this field that i love that makes me happy and you know it's i think we forget that part of the joy is getting messy yes um and you know figuring out where you are delightfully saying oh that didn't work you know and trying something else and we can find that in any field um and it doesn't mean that you're not supposed to be doing what you're doing and you know you shouldn't be embarrassed um I have a lot of probably very very bad ideas in my head that I want to try um and hopefully with time I'll be able to well why not I mean (laughs) it's a different way of looking at things but I think some of the greatest innovations have come from what would be conventionally considered a bad idea I still personally do not understand Snapchat as a concept I don't get it It just on paper that just seems like a really bad idea and yet it is this massive cultural phenomenon so (laughs) yeah I have a 16 year old son and I don't get it either and I keep asking him these questions and he looks at me like I've just completely lost it you know and I'm like wait so you have to take a picture every time to send him like that I'm like that seems so inconvenient like I catch him taking pictures of rocks you know just so you can (laughs) say hi to a friend and I'm like but you could just text your friend literally like (laughs) just use whatsapp or something I don't understand like I I just can't comprehend it it doesn't make sense to me I've tried so many times and I was just like this doesn't make sense so I'm going to leave this alone (laughs) ah I feel so old now But um, yeah, no, I think why not try the bad ideas? You never know what what gems come from it. And I I like that you said that you kind of openly like want to try things and fail. And I think we have like such a culture of like a fear of failure is so crippling to people. And yet we do it all the time. Like we're all kind of horrendously bad at things that we first try our hand at. And a lot of uh, the people I've spoken to have said, you know, we need to be ready to play and have fun and get back into that real childlike state of just creating things just to create because that's what we did as kids and that's where we had the most fun um so I think it's quite nice to have that mentality and I I haven't haven't got it yet but I really like that it's kind of a nice inspiring way to look at like the future of my career and I imagine for the listeners, it might be quite nice to not put so much pressure on themselves when they're when they're going out to create whatever it is that they want to create in this world Yes, yes. And I hope you find that because I think I think people can tell what work looks like that doesn't have joy in it. Um, And you really can't, you know, you can't. The joy doesn't come from anything but, you know, freedom. And you can't really like force that. So I, I understand in the beginning, I mean, there are practical concerns and people have to kind of get there and get to that stage of comfort where they feel like they can take some risks unless it's inherent to their personality. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not a risky person by nature. Um, but, you know, wherever you find it, take advantage of it. Yeah, absolutely. The Tarot the podcast, I always ask, what is the best advice you've ever received and what is the worst advice you've ever received? <laughs> you know, I'd say the best advice I ever got, um, and this, this will sound completely unrelated, but it's something I remember in so many different aspects of my life. I was in a relationship and it was a bad relationship. 
Mm-hmm. And I was in this obsessive stage. I was a teenager, you know, young adult, probably 18, I think. Oh, wow. And I was talking about it and talking about it, you know, you know, how you how it is. You complain to your friends. You're always talking about things. And my friend's older sister, she's just a couple years older, but, you know, that seemed like a thousand years older when you're 18. Yeah. Um, she interrupted me as I was once again complaining, talking about this. She interrupted me and she said, Ijoma, you're so much more interesting than this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and oh my god it stung so bad <laughs> like I was punched in the face but it was true and oftentimes I find that when we get stuck in these reactionary cycles mm-hmm. where we are obsessing over these hurts and these slights and we don't we don't we forget our worth and we forget all of the better things we could be putting our brains to. And I just always, you know, try and remember. Occasionally I'll catch myself, you know, cycling over something someone said to me. And then I'm, you know, it, I'm, I'm stuck in pettiness and all this. And then, mm. you know, I'll hear this voice that says, you are so much more interesting. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and it's something I wish, you know, I, I hope that every young person, especially young woman, who has been told by society that she's supposed to obsess over these things that have so little to do with what she has to offer the world. Um, I hope that someone will stop them and say, you are so much more interesting than this. That is going to be my go-to line. (laughs) (laughs) That's really good. And the worst advice you've ever received? The worst advice I'd ever received? Um, Hmm. You know, I don't know if I, I, I was never as, as a young kid open to a lot of advice. People didn't give me a lot of advice. I would say that I was told a lot when I was younger that I had to be really, I, you know, I, I would say the worst advice anyone receives mm-hmm. um, is when they're told, oh, life isn't fair. Um, I think that we start telling your kids at a really young age to get used to things that are inherently wrong. Um, and young children have a really good compass for what's fair and fair is, is really what we're talking about is what's just, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and we constantly say, Oh, life isn't fair, but we don't tell them life should be fair. And they're angry because something is wrong Mm -hmm. and something should be done. And instead, we tell them to accept it as as a way of the world. And I think that if we allowed our kids to throw more fits and encourage fits when things are wrong and things are unjust, we would have adults who would care a lot more about things that are wrong and things that are unjust. Um, And so that's definitely something I wish I had never been told and I wish that no kids had been told. It is true that life is not fair. Mm -hmm. But that's not something that we should ever be resigned to. And we should, at a very young age, when we see a kid, when someone cuts in line and they're upset about it, we should encourage them, you know, and say, yeah, you're right. You noticed this, that someone took advantage, that someone, um, you know, did something wrong. And that's that's a thing to be upset about instead of just saying life isn't fair. So I would I would encourage anyone out there to stop saying this to the young people you encounter um, and encourage far more fits because we have a society that is not nearly as upset as they should be about how unfair the world is. 
Oh, that was perfect. You are an amazing orator. Oh, I mean, that was like so good. Like most people actually do not ha- remember the worst advice they've ever been told or ever, or any advice really. So that's true. My dad says life's unfair all the time to me. So <laughs> I'm going to tell him to stop. Um, but, <laughs> that is really good. That's a really um, valid point that, you know, it does kind of almost enable compliance. Um in us and yeah we just resigned to the fact that you know there's nothing we can do about it oh well um and then there's no fight in us anymore which I guess is the desired outcome from like most government so (laughs) thank you so much for sharing your story and being a part of this and also writing this book again I know I've been like gushing on it for a bit but I very much do appreciate you coming on and dedicating some time to to speaking to me and to sharing your story with the listeners so thank you so much Jemma. thank you for having me it was a pleasure you are so welcome please do check out Ajoma's work my favorite article is called the heart of whiteness Ajoma aluo interviews rachel dolezal the white woman who identifies as black you can get a copy of So You Want to Talk About Race on Amazon. I highly, highly recommend it. And to find out more about Ajoma, you can follow her on Twitter at Ajoma Aluo. That's I-J-E-O-M-A-O-L-U-O. And you can also visit her website, ajomaaluo.com. This podcast is created by the Shoutout Network. To find out more about membership, visit shoutoutnetwork.co.uk. Has this podcast made you download an app? visit a website or get you scribbling in your notes app let me know about it by leaving a review on itunes via your mac computer or the apple podcast app on your phone follow wannabe at wannabe podcast on twitter and instagram and get sharing your thoughts and feelings with me and to get extended show notes listing all the tools and resources we mentioned in this episode and joma's work visit wannabepodcast.com all of the show notes are edited today thanks so much for listening bye Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.